When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Jared Waitley. Thanks for listening to the podcast. In this episode, we shared some thoughts from our night at the ice hockey in Las Vegas. And Australian golfer Cam Smith joined me from Live Golf, which is also here in town. Port Adelaide coach Ken Hinckley in the studio. AFL record editor Ashley Brown with his list of industry movers and shapers. Shannon Gill shared the history of how we've watched the Super Bowl in Australia through the years. Plus, Tommy Sheridan and Brad Blanks stopped by Radio Row. You can get in touch at any time. Waitley at sen.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Good morning. They dis- they defended the fortress in Vegas last night. The Golden Knights came from a goal down to beat the Edmonton Oilers, who were attempting to equal a league record winning streak that has stood for 30 years. For six years, they've said the best sporting night on the strip is the ice hockey, and it was everything that was promised. A production a show, and a great game. There's nothing better than sitting in a sellout sporting crowd for a big game. And I love how quickly you can tell, regardless of whether you know the sport or not, that you're watching a top-class encounter. T-Mobile Arena is just off the strip. It's in behind New York, New York. You funnel down the strip, through the park, and in with the expectant crowd who are all in their team jerseys on game night. And I do love that part of fandom here on game night you wear your team jersey the pre-match show is built around the golden knights fighting off dark forces medieval golden knights and dark forces that's very literal the video is in the lights down arena it gives way to a knight who skates onto the rink sword and shield drawn and he battles away on the ice and then a giant golden helmet is lowered It's got red beams coming from its eyes. It lowers to the surface and the team enters the arena through the helmets and the medieval maniacs, that's the rest of us, go nuts. Built in the middle tier of the stands is an Arthurian castle. That's the fortress and that's what has to be protected. And there are all sorts of accoutrements that you would expect from such a castle which are decked around the arena. It's, it was gold night as well, so the terraces were quite dazzling. The best player in the world, Connor McDavid, he scored inside five minutes for the Oilers. He scored right down in front of us. It was something to behold. The, the Golden Knights had a man advantage during a power play, so it was five on four. They had the five, but they committed too many forward and got ruthlessly exposed out the back. And all I could think was Ross Lyon would not have approved. 
He was greeted by plenty of Oilers fans who'd made the trip from Canada in the hope of witnessing a historic night. Both anthems were played in the build-up, and while it's a 22-hour drive, it's a shorter flight and plenty of that come from Alberta to share in it. We actually, we sat right next to a, a pair of parents and their four kids. So four parents and in front of them, four kids. I think our favourite moment was actually when one of the mothers let loose with a ferocious, what the F is going on, only to catch herself and admonish that I forgot the kids were here. And our whole bay did laugh rather heartily. In the front rows, they bang on the perspex when the players get close. The Vegas Vivas cheered throughout with their pom-poms going. There was the obligatory marriage proposal, which seems to take place at every American sporting event I've ever been to. Pat McAfee and Bubba Watson were the star factor that was added from a sporting perspective. And the Vegas mascot is rather perfectly named Chance. The Golden Knights scored once at the end of the first period. They started the third period with a goal after defending grimly for the middle 20 minutes. And then this was how it was decided. Martinez ahead for Stone. Now Stevenson with Carlson. Skate the stick. Dangles. How fitting is that? He's played a great game, his first game back, and what a key goal for him. And Vegas, a streak stopper tonight on home ice. The Oilers' winning streak ends at 16, one shy of matching the Penguins. The Oilers pulled the goalie, and everyone's favourite forward, William Carlson, scored in the empty net, and that was the winner. The hero was the goalie, Aiden Hill, and it was refreshing to see that he was presented to the crowd at the climax as the game's number one star. They managed to give the defender the Premier Award of the night. We drank the oversized cans of beer, which must be two and a half times the quantity of the equivalent back home. We bought our souvenir pucks and we left with plenty of happy locals content we'd seen one of the best events that Vegas has to offer. And I said to Joel as we left, if we were Vegas guys, I imagine we would then have gone and hit the tables and tried our hand at craps, but we're not quite there yet. That was our night at the hockey. Coming up this morning, Cam Smith, he's in town. Live Golf is here. We went out and had a look at the Pro-Am, watched Cam, Mark Leishman and Lucas Herbert this morning. So Cam Smith later this hour. The Olympics in Brisbane seems to be at a really interesting juncture. The original plan to rebuild the Gabba has been declared dead. What are the implications of that, not just for the Olympics, but for footy and cricket in the state? And Ash Brown has his annual list of movers and shakers in the AFL world to reveal. We start today, though, with Ken Hinckley, the Port Adelaide coach who's come into the studio for me. Kenny, uh, it's almost great to see you. Welcome back to SEN. Yeah, thanks, Jared. It's, uh, it's good to almost see you, and you're doing it <laughs> as you always do at this time of the year, over there uh, calling the, uh, the, the Super Bowl. You don't strike me as a Vegas guy. Do you think you're a Vegas guy at heart? I'm a bit of a punter, but I'm not sure I'm a yeah. Vegas guy. <laughs> Have you ever played craps? I've had them a few times. Yes, yes that's, that's a commonly used joke. Uh, so the first week of February is where we meet, so we're a month away. You're just a week further away than that. How, how screwed down are things in February? Yeah, getting pretty close. I mean, we're, uh, we've been doing a lot of match play for all of January, and... Um, you know, we're, we're actually getting to that stage. And, and with, um, you know, with round zero and everything else going on, you don't want to be caught behind because some sides are going to be playing a little bit in front of us. And, uh, 
you know, we, we may get to our round one game and there'll be sides that have played two times before we've played once. So we've got to make sure we're up to that level. Is there a, an unnerving sense of mystery at this time of year? You'd have a feel for how you're going, but do you, can, can you have any sort of feel for how it fits in with what everyone else is doing? No, you can't. And that's uh, I was only having those conversations in the last week. You know, you'd, you'd love to know exactly how you're going, but you, you can sit there optimistically, and every club would be at this stage of the year, optimistic around what they're capable of and what they want to achieve. Uh, but the reality is you need some facts, and the facts will come very shortly, but we have to wait for them. Could you imagine going to a season without getting those facts, but with no formal pre-season matches, or is it absolutely essential that you, you get a little look? I think a little looks okay. I think we've been able to trim that back over the last few years, and it's to a point now where, you know, basically you're getting one and a half, one and a half looks with opposition. You know, we, we play a, you know, the the trial with the Crows. It'll be less than a proper game, and then we'll we'll go full bore against Fremantle with uh, you know a full AFL dress rehearsal, and then into it. So, I think. That's about as tight as you could make it. Um, you know, I don't think you go much less. But I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of an advocate for, for more games in season than they're actually, than playing the preseason games. So I think that that's also something to consider. So if we were going to claw back any more of the calendar, you, you'd prefer that we clawed it back with the real stuff. Yep, absolutely. I think we could um, potentially get another game or two in if we if we we're prepared for it. Do, do you have an idea? What's the maximum number of games you think that you could play during a home and away season? Oh, I think I think you can get three or four more out if we start a touch earlier and, and we're prepared to go a little bit shorter on some breaks. Um, you know, I, I try to work with the, the sums a little bit with one and a half seasons in one season, which means you play everyone twice in two seasons. Oh yeah, yep, yeah. yeah that, that, there's there's an inescapable logic there. I quite like that. Do you, do, do you do you have any feel for what that's like around the competition? Whether there is a willingness to play more if you're asked to? Um, not not really. I, I couldn't say honestly I know that, but I think the reality is we've had some most recent history with the COVID year with the shortened games and the, and the shorter breaks and we were able to get through some of that. I think if we were prepared to explore a little bit, well, I think we could certainly get a bit closer to that. When you ran the diagnosis on the end of last season, Ken, what, what did you come up with to, um, to rationalise how it ended with the straight sets exit? Yeah, look, it was a, it was, a, it was a clearly a, a poorer finish for the year than we, we were hoping for because we had we went on that amazing run through the season where, you know, we won won a lot of games in a row, club record amount of games. But by the time we got to the finals, you know, and we drew Brisbane in Brisbane, which is which is which, which is a big draw, um, you know, to go against when you consider we were one point off Collingwood in a, in a late game at Adelaide Oval, which would have put us second. And Brisbane come to come to Adelaide Oval. We played Brisbane round one at Adelaide Oval, had a convincing win. We were beaten by them up there convincingly, and that that took the edge of us. We weren't physically in the best of, of shape going through, but the reality was we had to deal with the season that we had, and um, you know that was just the challenges that we faced at the end of the year. It was was certainly not what we were hoping for, and and expected of ourselves. We didn't perform at the level we wanted. So, was it circumstance, happenstance, or do you change a little bit of planning, um, knowing that you're a bit banged up at the end? You take some learnings, though. You, you need to take the learnings, and you need to be prepared to make some some adjustments that we need to do uh, to make sure that when we get closer to that time of the season, we're capable of playing our best football. And, uh, you know, we, we had a youth youthful group through our midfield, which they took a lot of load. Um, the difference is, uh, you know, we have a... I feel like this this pre-season we have an absolutely fit Ollie Wines, which is a massive in for us, I think, for what we're capable of achieving with Ollie because it allows to take a little bit of the load off some of the, you know, the new captain, the new vice-captain and, and an emerging young player. So... 
we get an opportunity to, to probably spread their load out a little bit more. We, we've got to be mindful of that. We felt like we are always chasing something last year all the way through, so we've just got to be mindful that we've got to get people there in their best shape and not just get them there. So how do you balance up a 13-game winning streak in the middle which saw such development with the disappointing end and it, as you try to work out how much change should be made? Yeah, I think we're close. I think we're in a marginal gains position ourselves as a football club. We, we know that we've been you know, a, a pretty, pretty honest and pretty consistent performing side throughout this uh, last three or four years in the home and away series. But the reality is um, we, we've, got to win. we've got to win at the end and that's what we've got to make sure we take some learnings for. But I think it's, it's a marginal amount that we're chasing. I don't think we're chasing huge amounts. We've made some, you know, some adjustments to our list. We've improved our list, we hope and we think. Um, but the reality is, as you said earlier, we, we'll get to test that soon. But those personnel changes uh, are documented, I'll ask you about those. What about style changes, Kenny? Are you, are you having a play around with, with adjusting some of your, your core style? No, I, think we're, I think we're probably pretty close to the way the game's being successful at the moment with the way we play. We play an aggressive brand of football in, in probably all phases. We, we, we like to get after the ball with the ball in hand. We like to go a bit, bit quick and... You know, when we certainly try to get the ball back, we, we, we want to put our pressure on the game instantly if we possibly can. So, and I think when we do that, people recognise our brand. I think it stands up pretty well you know, against the best teams in the comp. Um, you know, and I think the, the competition, to me, is still exploring more offence again. I think that's the way it feels, and I think that's good for the game. So you had really clear needs, uh, having looked at what you did in the uh, in the trade period. You, you had needs down back and needs in the ruck. Do you feel like they're well addressed? Yeah, I think so. I think we've done absolutely everything we could to. Uh, Jason's done a great job of bringing in the people we needed. You know, we bring in two two rucks who are both trying to emerge in their own right as first rucks at, at their previous clubs, and they you know they, they had some significant challenges. Tim English is a pretty pretty good ruckman to try and get past, and you know Toby Nankervis at Richmond as their captain is also. A battle for, uh, for for a van, and then we, you know, we, it, it was clear to us that we needed a little bit more size down back to try and help and support Alia, and we're asking him to do probably too much. With that in mind, we had TJ who had, who was retiring and coming to the end. We had an injured uh, Trent McKenzie a fair bit through the season, so we were we were not not only down with a bit of size, but we were down with personnel available for us. So. We've certainly made a um, you know conscious decision, and we had made that decision a couple of years ago, as was clear when we tried to bring Asava to the club 12 months earlier. So we're really optimistic around what Asava and Brandon can certainly bring down back. How how hot's the competition between Soldo and Sweet to be the first ruck? Yeah, I think it's not only in them; it's it's Dante Vizentini as well, who's a, an emerging young ruck who played games for us last year. So it's it's actually a really interesting space to watch the three rucks going at it at the moment. You can see that. Um, they all believe and they all think that they've got a great opportunity to take that mantle and, and that's always healthy for a coach. You love seeing that. Uh, how close are you to deciding? Uh, no, we, we, we'll, we'll let it run its course. We'll give them an opportunity. We'll let, the, we'll let them fiercely compete for a little bit longer and see what happens. And, um, you know, and I think through the season, which we've seen last year, where Scott did a great job for us manfully last year trying to, trying to get through the season. And um, you know, the reality is we know it's a, a brutal position to play you need more than one available, and that's what we'll have on our on our hands this year. We hope. Is there is there any combination that could two of those three play for you week to week? Where are you in uh, the philosophy around rucks, and then the practicalities of the bodies that you've got? Yeah, we're exploring. We, we, we'll explore that a little bit more. I mean, because um, 
I think both Avan and uh, and Dante certainly have played a little bit of forward football before, and, and they can actually go there and have an impact. So it just depends on on the balance of the side. You know, if we play three tall forwards, we probably don't play two rucks. But if we're only two tall forwards, we, we, we potentially. And I think that's some of the stuff that we learned through last year, as you said earlier. We we need to explore with what that looks like. So when we get to a pointy part of the season, that we've got all those options available. What do you think the combination of Alia and Asava might look like down back? Threatening, yep. threatening. I'd hope, and that's what we we would hope. And you know, it's when you've got um, you know you've got one intercept player who can really uh, intercept the ball in Alia the way the way he's done it for us in his time, and then you add another one in there as well, and you know, and potentially putting a Brandon at, at, at behind them as well. It, it certainly allows you to be pretty hard to pass in the air, and that doesn't mean you're going to be. You know, some teams always run the risk if you've got too many tall defenders versus not enough smalls on the ground. So we've got to we've got to balance that up. But you know, I think we've got much much better flexibility with what we can do. Connor Rosie, so the the long term commitment and the captaincy. So maybe the captaincy first. What what have you seen in him since he formally assumed the leadership? Yeah, he's he's just he's feeling his way a little bit. He's uh, you know he's obviously a youngish captain and. Um, but he's a very mature young. He's just turned 24 in January, so he's a very mature 24-year-old. He's, you know, he's he's engaged. He's having a baby. Him and his and his partner Maisie. So he's 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 quite a mature young person, and um, you know, he's ready for the opportunity to lead his club. He was very very comfortable with the um, with the chance that that we presented to him to be able to to be the leader. But he also knows he's got a lot to learn. But he's got great people supporting him, and uh, you know, with with Ollie and Trav particularly around and Darcy around to help and support him through uh, some of the challenges of being a first-time captain. I think history will show that, you know, you, you tend to get your your best captains at that younger age and you bring them through with, with the team and, you, and he emerges with the team. So we don't expect Connor to be the best captain in the AFL. We take it if he is, but we, we do expect him to grow in the position. How do you nurture that, Kenny? Oh, you, you just help and you guide and you, and you, you, you make sure he's really clear on on some expectations and then so you're also mindful of the load and you, you make sure he doesn't take on all the load because as a young person I think you're, you're optimistically think you can do everything and um, I think the challenge with that is for us to make sure we guide him through what we need him to do and, and what's important for, for the team and him. And married up with that, how significant to sign, what was it, an eight-year contract is... Um, it's an extreme commitment, isn't it? That that's the lifetime commitment, really. Yeah, and I think that was clear for for, for Connor, and and clearly for us was was a no brainer in in lots of ways. He's a, you know, he's a really talented footballer first and foremost. So he's he, you know he's going to be um, a very very good player in the competition for that period of time, no doubt. Um, and and the reality is he's a South Australian boy. He knows where he's where he wants to be, and he, and he's really comfortable with and and with those decisions with free agency and everything that comes about now you either take them past free agency or you, you land on free agency when you have a commitment from both sides to go past free agency it's pretty simple yeah and powerful as well yeah yeah absolutely it, it's a great it's a great signal to the rest of the to, to not only to our players and to our some members but to the rest of the competition he he thinks we're a good footy club Zach Butters through to the end of 2026 what what, what comes next for Zach given the level that he established for himself last year well, he needs to continue to improve, and I and, and I know the way he's driven to to improve himself. He's certainly not happy with with um, his his performance. He's he's emerging very quickly, but he's 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 a player who thinks he can be better than he's already delivered, and that's going to be hard for him to do. So he works really hard. He's he's as 
ferocious a trainer as you'll, you could wish to see. I mean, I, having had history in the game for a long period of time, I've seen a lot of really, really good players and at the levels that they perform at and train at, he, he certainly goes to those levels. So I think, um, you know, there's still more to come from Zach Butters and we expect and, and we, we need probably more to come from Zach. And Todd Marshall, how close is he to signing, Ken? Yeah, look, Todd, Todd loves at the footy club, loves being at our footy club. I, I would be staggered if he doesn't remain at our football club, which I'm, I'm, I'm sure that won't be the case. But I, I would imagine, um, knowing Todd, that he's not the sort of person who likes much spotlight. So I'd imagine he'd want that done pretty soon and, um, and get it out of the way. Optimistically, I'd, I'd love it done before the start of the year. But Todd's got every right with his management to make, take his time. For your circumstance, can we all know what it was like coming into last year, at least from the outside? Is it different um, with, well, the notional security of starting a contract rather than finishing a contract? That's the only difference, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, it's very little different. I mean, for me, and, you know, I, I talk about all, the, the pressure of being an AFL coach is there every day, regardless of your contract status, because we do see over the period of time in history that whether you are or you're not in contract doesn't change some outcomes at times. And all you can do is absolutely lock into your best. I do that every year to make sure I give the best of myself to the, to the football club and to, you know, to my family first and foremost, but then to the football club. And you go, well, I'll do that as well as I can and let everything else take care of itself. And at some point in time, um, there will be a change of direction for me at some point, but I'm more than comfortable that I'll do my best. And uh, as a footy club, we're in a really healthy position. The... Um, do, do you ever get used to it? Do, do you get... Uh, so we were talking about this. Is Obviously, Craig McRae spoke to the commission. Alistair Nicholson joined me the other day. Is it, some of it is an unnatural way to live with the, the scrutiny and the pressure. Do, do you feel like you get used to it? Or, um, or it, can, it will always be unnatural in a way? You'd, you, you get used to it. Is, I'm, not, I'm not sure if the word used to it is exactly the right word. You, you, get to, you learn to live with it. And I think um, the reality for me is um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me um, like it once perhaps did you know, if I go back three, four, five years ago. Whereas now I go, you know what, the industry I'm in is, is, is a great industry. It has lots of information. Around, it has lots of talkback that goes on in it. I have to accept that it, I'm a part of that talkback because I want to be in that industry. And now I can just go about and do, as I said earlier, do what I can do best and then let, let the narrative go on. As I said, um, lots of comments get made. Lots of things get said. The reality is they're almost a day-by-day comment. How much does it burn for you, Ken, now? Is you're a long way into this senior job with Port Adelaide and you've committed over and over and over. How much does it burn to you to, to get that ultimate prize, which has always been the quest? I think it's, it's undeniably um, it, it's, it's the biggest driver that anyone can possibly have. And for me, it's, it continues to burn and burn, burn bright. And um, I'm not going to give up on it. I'm going to keep fighting for it and um, ultimately um, you know you keep at things I think eventually um, you've got to get get an opportunity and for us as a footy club I think we've showed a willingness to keep turning back up we are in a you know in a in a a market that's quite intense um, in Adelaide but but we all also understand the passion of what that is and and we just want to provide the opportunity for everyone that's involved with the Port Adelaide Football Club to, to have that feeling again in this year being the 20th year anniversary for the for the 2004 side we'd love to be able to um um, share that share that joy and that feeling and i would certainly with with the group that are that are coming through this year in the 20th year reunion yeah so the optimism which always holds at this time of year do do you feel it's justifiable do you feel this this team is well enough equipped to give it a good shake 
you, you would expect me to say 100% yes, and that's what I sh- and, and I do truly believe that because if I stop believing that, that's when I shouldn't be sitting here and, and talking to you about being the coach of Port Adelaide because I believe that. It's good that you're still the coach of Port Adelaide, Kenny. Thanks for stopping by. Good luck for the next month, and we'll, uh, we'll see you as it all begins. Good on you, G. Stay safe. <laughs> Good on you. Ken Hinckley with us at the start of the program. one three hundred seven three six seven three six and 433 to have your say this, uh, what day is it? This Thursday morning in Melbourne. It's Wednesday afternoon in Vegas. Few of your thoughts, Rocket in Adelaide. Jared, you climbing the sphere confirms you are now officially a Vegas guy. Very good, Rocket. Thank you. There's a bit of that going on. Morning, Jared. My taxi arrives in an hour. I'm off to Vegas. So pumped. Dave in Perth. You won't be disappointed when you get here. Some people in Australia say grown adults shouldn't wear footy jumpers to a game. To this, I say adults should wear their club colours every week. And awesome insight, Jared. But does it match a Ponsford stand full of pie supporters going crazy after a Dugowie goal? That's from Mel. No, I don't think anything in the world really matches that, Mel. We're blessed with what we have at home. But what I, I do like the fact, and this is true in every sporting town I've been to in the States, is they troop the colours. They wear their jerseys with great pride. And they do it almost right throughout game day as you'll start to see it a few hours beforehand through the streets and then they make their way to the stadium and it is a great sight I think it's something that regrettably we we come up with a cultural cringe where you're not really allowed to wear your colours in Australia which I think is such a shame is a, a stadium full of your fans in their jerseys is a brilliant sight and something that uh, I think we miss out on a little bit in Melbourne for reasons that I've never fully understood Mick's in Airport West welcome to you Mick Good morning or good evening, whatever time frame it is over there, <laughs> Jared. Um, Thanks, Mick. Wonderful, wonderful interview with Ken Hinckley. It's just, it's just good. I was just saying to your producer, it's good to have four-thrive coaches like Craig McRae, Ken Hinckley. They're, they're just so open, honest, and they just say to themselves, you know, if I'm not the right person for this job, then, you know, I shouldn't be standing here. But there is one main question I want to ask you, Jared, and it's in yeah. regards to... Uh, I don't know the answer to that, Mick. Uh, I don't know whether they've made their way to Australia or not. There's plenty of them over here. There's in every hotel foyer at the moment, the pop-up NFL stores. I can tell that you'd love one, Mick. I I, I would love one. Mate, I'd I'd even pay for it as well myself, mate. I, I just want a Super Bowl hat. Yeah, I know the feeling. You come to these things and go, oh, we bought our Golden Knights caps last night. Uh, Mick, all right, we'll, we'll see how we go. See if, does anyone know, are there any Super Bowl caps in Australia at the moment? We're going to go back to the Don Lane days as our morning unfolds as well. Cam Smith, so I've got to just jam this up so that we can hear from Australia's, well, I think he's our preeminent golfer. He's on the Live Tour. He's here in Vegas. That's coming up. Here's Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. Shane in Torquay says Caps, C-A-P-Z, Australia might be your spot, Mick. And he can get the Super Bowl hat online. That's from Ron, so you can order it and have it posted to Australia. Cam Smith is about to join me. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. Cam Smith, it's great to have you on SEN. Welcome. Thanks, guys, for having me. Have you been to Vegas often? Have you played much golf over the years here? I've uh, probably played, uh, I reckon, four or five tournaments here over the years. Um, never played this golf course though before, so I'm looking forward to uh, getting out here and seeing what it's all about. Is it your kind of town? We're, we're not really Vegas guys, we don't think. We're a bit overwhelmed. What about you? 
yeah, I'm the same, mate. I'm a I'm a laid back Aussie. I want to get away from the crowd. I, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like a great idea to tap into Super Bowl week, which is so. I've been here since Friday, and it seems to be growing in magnitude day on day. What what's the chatter like as to what that might mean for you? Yeah, I think um, I think like you said, we've only been here for a couple of days, but you can already tell um, the talk of the town is obviously the Super Bowl this week, and um, yeah, we're just here to kind of, I guess, showcase showcase our stuff as well, um, just down the road. So um, I think the weekend will be busy, but um, we'll be fine out here, and um, hopefully the the Rippers can get a, a team win this weekend. Yes, we'll be there on Saturday, so uh, we'll be riding that pretty hard, I reckon, by then. <laughs> It felt like a great start for your league, Cam. is on Sunday here in the States. Pebble Beach got washed out. Yours went to an absolute thriller at the end. Did, did it feel like a, a great start to the season? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a, it's a great tournament down there. It's a great venue for us as well. It's kind of a nice way to get back into a season. It's beautiful down there. Um, you know, like you said, the, the thriller finish there, I think, by, by Yako and Sergio is, is also a plus for us. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can have, you know, plenty more finishes like that. Hopefully even a team playoff this year would be would be epic. Have you seen many playoffs finish under the glow of the scoreboard lighting? No, I don't, I don't think I've ever been a part of a tournament where it's actually been a um, kind of a decision to, to go play another hole by the players. So that was, um, that I think that was pretty, pretty cool by those two guys wanting to play, um, you know, kind of 50-50 in the dark and uh, wanting to get a win out of something. So... Um, yeah, good on them. It seemed a little bit ominous that John Rahm's team won first up. Legion 8, is, um, that, that felt like it's not great for the other teams, but that felt like a good way to arrive. <laughs> yeah, I think that's um, obviously great for those guys. I think um, they were a little bit... Um, I, I don't know if you saw the podium celebration, but it, you definitely could tell they were rookies up there. And um, I, think, uh, I think that's great for those guys. It, Obviously, for us, uh, the Ripper guys, that golf course doesn't really suit us Aussies too much. It's very tight and, um, you know, very different to what we grew up playing. So a fourth-place finish for us, I think, was a, was a win in itself. What, what do you think John Rahm's arrival for the fresh season does for the league? Um, I mean, you could even tell last week, um, just in preparation, everyone was there early. Everyone was just preparing a little bit uh, better than what they probably were last year. Um, I think everyone's um, kind of mojo has changed into competition mode. Um, I think having an off-season is nice. Everyone was happy to be there. Um, everyone's been working hard on their games, and um, you could tell that there was a lot of guys last week that were out there to win. So um, definitely a different attitude this year. There's some great names, so the fields have got real depth now. Do, do you feel that? Is it as competitive as, as you've always wanted it to be? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um, yeah, it's definitely been stepped up a level. Uh, obviously, a bunch of new guys coming in. Um, you know, John Rahm, you know, he's probably, you know, first, if not, if he's not first, he's second in the world at the moment. Um, having guys like that um, that you want to compete against and, and beat is always a good thing. And I think it'll, be, it'll build the league to go bigger and better. You've got Lucas Herbert that completes the Australian team now. How active were you in bringing him across? Um, yeah, I would say pretty active. Um, I spoke to him probably, um, I would say late November, early December, um, about coming across. He, 
he obviously had his card out on the PGA Tour, so there's a lot of things that he had to think about, and um, I told him to take his time. It was obviously a big decision for him, but um, obviously a really good addition to our team. Um, I think that rounds off our team really good. Um, to have kind of four really experienced tour pros um, on our team now is, is something that all teams don't have. Um, yeah, so we're looking to have a good year this year. So tell us, how did you pitch it to him? It's, how did you pitch it to somebody to come and play with it with an Aussie team? <laughs> um, I, I just, I just said that I think he would enjoy the format. I think um, obviously Adelaide, um, the way it was last year, it was pretty epic. It was probably one of the best tournaments I've ever been a part of. Um, I pitched that to him, um, and you know, I, I just think um, this league is going in the right direction and. Um, you know, the more the more time we put into it, um, I think this league's going to go from strength to strength, and we're going to be um, we're going to have the best players in the world out here very soon. How did you hit them first up? How, how do you go? Did, did you give yourself a breather over the summer? How did you go about your preparation? Um, yeah, I probably had uh, a few weeks off. I didn't touch. I didn't really, uh, I guess, practice too much. I, I played a little bit with with mates and with family. Um, but then once kind of uh, Christmas ended, it was back in uh, preparation mode, getting ready. And, um, yeah, it was actually pretty solid this week. I definitely feel a lot better uh, about my game uh, this year than I did last year. And I think that's due to obviously just a little bit more time on the range. Do you Are you a goal setter? Do, do you set yourself goals for as you embark on a new year? I mean, kind of not really. I, I guess I've never really been one to expect much of myself. So I guess the only thing I really expect is to, to get up and try and make myself a better golfer every day. And that's, um, that's been a lot of my, I guess, professional life and it's worked pretty good. So there's no point in uh, trying to mix that up. Just try and get better every day, um, head down, ass up and, um, you know, hopefully tick off one of these majors again pretty soon. Obviously, I feel like the biggest fascination in world sport, never mind golf, is will the... PGA Tour and Live ever come together as that shock announcement last year. So you live it. Is does it intrigue you as to what the future holds? Um, I guess it's I, I guess it's intriguing, but um, you know, for us, we're just trying to do our stuff. It's um, it's going to be no different, I think, for us, uh, regardless of the outcome. Um, would it be nice to be together? Yeah, it probably would be to kind of ease the tension, I guess, in the golfing world. Um, but for us out here on Live, we're all happy and um, we're trying to make this league as, as good as it can be. Do you, I'm just curious, do, do you talk to Adam Scott about it at all, given that he's one of the, the central player figures now uh, in the or sort of, uh, not quite the administration, but, but in the way the PGA Tour runs? Um, I don't... You know, uh, Scotty and I have a, a really good relationship. Uh, we're really good friends, and um, I like to think that we just talk about kind of what we're doing and uh, what we're playing coming up. We don't really talk about, um, you know, what could potentially happen basically ever. So, um, yeah, he's uh, – I mean, he, like you said, he is one of the dominant figures now in in uh, over that side. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of leave that to them and – leave our stuff to us. The Olympics is on the radar, Cam. Is, what's, your, what's your path to the Olympics or otherwise? Are, are you clear on that? Um, 
you know, I think um, for me, I'm probably only going to play uh, four four tournaments that really count towards my world ranking, um, which is a bit of a disadvantage, I guess, to the other Aussie guys. Um, but I really want to be there. So um, obviously, just try and prepare as good as I can for those for those majors, and um, you know, try and put on the the shield again. Are you hopeful that those who make that decision would recognise that there are there are two streams of golf and the world rankings aren't the truest reflection that they have been previously? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think they know it without without knowing it. Um, but I, yep. you know, they've already set criteria for that, and um, I'm I'm not sure if they're going to change it. To be honest, to to suit me, so. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens, but I desperately want to be in Paris. They should change it. Maybe we can get a little bit of an uprising going on that. So we're going to be there on Saturday. What what are we in for? So we, I saw the Adelaide tournament on telly, and we've spoken so much about Live Golf without having seen it firsthand. So I'm very excited. What what are we in for, Matt? I think you'll love it. Is, is it going to be your first time out at a Live tournament ever? First time out at Live. No, I've seen. Yeah, I've been I, at, at major tournaments, but I haven't seen Live. Yeah, I, I think you'll love it. Um, it's definitely a bit of a different atmosphere. I think um, the crowd is kind of more connected to us players, and um, obviously uh, a, a bit louder. Um, I don't know if we have. Do we have a party hole this week? We do. Yeah, we got a party hole this week, so that's usually pretty rowdy, and um, all the players get around that. So yeah, it'll be a ton of fun out here, and. Um, I'm sure you'll want to get to Adelaide for sure. All right. We've got to get ourselves some ripper caps as we settle in for our broadcast. <laughs> and will you will you watch the Super Bowl on Sunday? Are you, are you interested there? Um, yeah, I probably will. Um, I I don't follow uh, American sports that, that good, but, um, yeah, I'll probably watch it. I think, um, you know, the halftime show obviously is, is one in itself. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have it on the TV. Cam, it's great to catch up. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Thanks, mate. See you out here. So Kim Hinckley's idea that more games of the regular season with a theory that you play everybody once and then half the teams one year and the other half the next year. So when we went to 19 teams, that would be a 27-round competition. And Cam Smith's currently 35 in the world. The world rankings are no longer the most reliable guide because of the the split. John Rahm was three as that will fall as the PGA shouldn't have a monopoly over the world rankings. That's the way it goes. The Olympics shouldn't be dictated by that. Cam would need to be inside 60 and he hasn't got much chance to do that outside of the majors. Each year, the first edition of the AFL record features Ash Brown's top 50 movers and shakers across the footy landscape. It's got even more gravitas this year because Ash is now the editor of the AFL record. Ash, it's great to have you on the program. It's my first chance publicly to say congratulations. Thanks, Jared. Good to be with you. And uh, as the others have been saying, I hope you're having a half-decent time over there. Yes, it's some (laughs) sort of experience. Right, I... um, just refresh us on your criteria. This is your list, and, and it's got lovely, subtle differences to some of the blunt force trauma that gets put out there. <laughs> it's not the 50 most important people in footy. It's the people, the top 50 people who are shaping the game 
in different ways, and it's the way it's played, the way we watch it, the way it's run. Uh, people are adding a bit of fun and a bit of levity to the game. I think that's really important. And also recognise rising stars, people who are starting to make, you know, in the industry, people you're starting to hear a bit of a buzz about. So it, it's not that, otherwise it would just be 18 coaches and 18 club presidents, yes. I guess, and the commissioners. But it's really trying to paint a broad brush of what's going on in the game at the moment on and off the field. How broadly do you canvas these days for, for input? Less than I used to, but uh, yes. it's, it's really it's 12 months of observation. You know, over the course of the season, you know, hanging out at the footy and talking to people in the industry, you, you get an understanding of people who are doing really good uh, things in the game. And then sort of at the end of the year, I just sort of sit quietly and distill it all and come up, come up with a list. I'll bounce it off a few people in the industry who, whose uh, wisdom I, I trust and value just to make sure I'm getting things right. And, and then we go ahead and publish. It is a live list, that, and that's one of the curses to it, uh, is what it might have been one week. It then uh, gets a little shaken around the next. So from the moment you went to print, if you could have another go at it, what, where are the two? Or, or who's, who's front of mind who you would love to have thrust forward? Well, literally, Jared, about an hour after this went to the printer, we got the news that Simon Lethleen had been replaced as a chief executive of St Kilda at more or less, as we know, at the behest of the coach of the club, Ross Lyon. So I think the way Ross Lyon has reshaped St Kilda in his image and what he wants, he probably, if I was doing the list now, it was a live list, Ross would be on it. And I suspect with a bullet because what he's done at St Kilda is quite remarkable, I think. So, yeah, that would be the oversight now. And another line, I think, uh, Gary Lyon might get in. You know, the article in The Ringer, yes, if you can get yourself quoted in The Ringer uh, by your, your friend and someone I know, Brian Curtis, uh, for the Tony Romo article, I think Gary's uh, walking uh, in the, the, the power corridors as well at the moment. But they're probably the two, if I was doing it again, might get a run. His, his reach grows. <laughs> all right. Um, we, we're not going to count all the way out because no. we won't do total spoilers. But I'm always, who's at 50? Well, at 50, as I turn the page, I've got Tom Morris at 50 because I think Tom, I mean, the, the TV news battleground is going to be really hard for it. Channel 7's had it to itself the last few years, and Tom Morris has been paid. Uh, Channel 9 has come in with a big brief to shake it up, and it's fascinating. If you're into that sort of stuff, the, the nightly 6 o'clock news battles have already started, and they put him on live from the first day of the Australian Open, Tom Morris, as their footy guy, breaking footy news. So the battle between him and Mitch Cleary in particular is going to be very fierce this year. So I thought Tom... And it's also a, a, a story Tom has you know, repatriated himself his, his image took a, a battering a couple of years ago and he's worked really hard to, to get himself going again, which I quite admire, and he deserves his second chance. All right, about 25% of the lister are newbies. Tell me, at 39, who is Matthew Chun? Well, Matthew Chun works for the AFL. He's got the, the almost a property portfolio, and that's really important. So that's Marvel Stadium. He's going to work although and again, as I wrote this, Jared, it looked like the Gabba was going to be redeveloped and the Lions would have a place in that. That might not be the case now, but there's going to be Tasmania as well. So he'll be very heavily involved in that. And, and the AFL, it's to the envy, I know, of the NRL, which has been trying ever since to get into the property game. The AFL has a, a healthy property portfolio and that's a big part of the income that underpins the game. So that's why I put him in. How high did the Tasmanian president, Grant O'Brien, go as he landed in the teens? Yeah, Grant O'Brien comes in at number 16 and, from all reports, is doing a wonderful job in putting that team together. We're expecting some announcements on, on colours and nicknames and what have you very soon, but really highly rated already for what he has brought uh, the Tasmanian presence into the AFL. I think we'll be hearing a lot more from him as a front person uh, before long. 
And the concussion portfolio is one of the most delicate. And at the AFL... Uh, you're slated at 14 if you're, yeah. if you're juggling this hot potato. Yeah, Michael McDesey, and he's you know, he was formerly the doctor at Hawthorne for a long time. He's, he runs that for the AFL. Um, it is such a critical part of the game going forward. It's going to be one of the most influential people in footy going forward because it is the issue that it's hovering over the game and will be for a considerable period. And the Brownlow medalist found, or the dual Brownlow medalist now, he found his place in there at 12. Yeah, like if you win two Brownlows, you're great at the game, aren't you? You're a modern-day great, um, Lockie Neal. All that's missing is the premiership, but I think if, you, uh, if you've won two Brownlows now, you certainly deserve to be uh, in, in, one of the, the major players in the game um, and figuring very prominently on the list. The power of a Collingwood premiership is pretty clear high up. So at seven is Craig Kelly, the chief executive, and at 11 is the coach, Craig McRae, and he is the highest ranked of your coaches. Yeah, I could have put a lot of Collingwood people in this year. They've become such a, a big force in the game. But I think Craig Kelly, they're just starting at Collingwood. We're going to explore this a bit further in the first few weeks of the season, the record as well. They're just getting started, Collingwood, with some of their aspirations. And, and Craig Kelly, who's such a... You know, with his work with TLA and player management over the years, he's the perfect person to be the figurehead of a club with huge ambition. So that's why he gets in so highly. He's going to be the president, but he decided to be the chief executive instead. And Craig McRae, you know him well, he's just changed the, the shape, the, the coaching landscape with his approach to the game and to win a premiership after two years at the biggest club. And, and, and his grand final story about the birth of his daughter and the missing shoes is just fantastic. We'll be telling that story for a very long time. The next coach is at 27. Now, Damien Hardwick would have been in this list at various stages. He had bowed out as Richmond sort of petered away, but here he is on the move, and he's on the move at 27. Well, he's the figurehead for the game now in South East Queensland. It's such an important mark of the AFL. 13 years of no finals for the Suns. He's going to be running this club. He's going to be promoting the game heavily in that area. Just so fascinated to see what he does with the Suns this year. And, you know, again, subsequent to to write in this piece, it's been clear that they want to make finals this year, so all sorts of pressure on him to for club and code in on the Gold Coast. It's what interesting, you also, Jeremy, you've got Des Hasler in that market as well this year. The Gold Coast, if you know, if I was a different stage of life, you'd go up there and write a book for, the, for that Gold Coast sport this year, wouldn't you? Just the Hardwick and Hasler going head-to-head with the Titans and the Suns. This is, this is it, isn't it, really, is for all that the Gold Coast has seen in sport and it's never quite panned out, is having those two figureheads at this time with the codes. Um, it's, it, there's, there's not only the rise of the, of the area in sport, but then you've got the, the cross-codes competitiveness as well. Yeah, to be the first of those two teams to, to win a, a premiership or a, in, their, in their code would be enormous. So there's a lot of pressure. Just a, a fascinating story all year, those two. What did you think of their, their three-year timeline? Uh, I think, you, well, they've got the ability now, haven't they? So um, they could do it if, if they've got the right coach. There's so much talent there. A couple of little things they still need to work out with a couple of players, but the talent's undeniable. So if anyone can do it uh, up there, hard we can. And it would be wonderful. If you're back for footy, you want it to happen. If, you, if, <laughs> if your first love is the footy ahead of your club, you would wish the Gold Coast Suns every bit of success. You've got three other coaches in the list. Chris Scott at 31, John Longmire at 40, and Michael Voss at 42. Well, uh, Scott and Longmire get in every year. For you know, I talk about them most years. I mean, their seniority in the game, their, uh, the impact they have, you know, the, the AFL takes their counsel. But I put Michael Voss in there because he stared down, didn't he? What, what, you took the, call, the talkback callers last year on the, on the Monday 
Corns, Carlton supporters middle of last season were ready. They were apoplectic. And Michael Voss stared them down, stared down the powerful forces that operate within Carlton, the people who lurk in the shadows that football club and have for a very long time. And he led that club to within a game of a grand final in a, a mighty coaching performance. And now we've got people saying that they're outright premiership favourites. But I thought such a key performance. People love Vossi, love falling in behind him. He's a leader of men um, and I thought worthy of putting on the list this year for the work he's done in, in turning that club around because he single-handedly, in my opinion, he drove that turnaround. Chris Scott and John Longmire are perennials. At 32 is Craig Stasevic who, uh, for as long as he's been the coach of the AFLW Lions team, uh, has done such a stellar job and it's due recognition as uh, the Premiership coach again. He's built, they've built the best football club in, in, in an expansion state. The best AFLW club team is the Lions. They contend every year. They get pillaged just about every season with talent leaving to come to Victoria. Uh, and they present every year. And last year's premiership was an absolute tribute to the, the work he's done. So he has to make this list and will be, for, I think, for a considerable period of time. They're just a great club. How did you measure Daisy Pierce's influence right now as she takes a coaching job over in Perth? Well, she's an enormous figure in the women's game, and then to be pretty much plucked out from one year of coaching, uh, one year of Geelong coaching staff to, to come to West Coast, and basically she will be the figurehead for that club. And West Coast is so powerful, they're struggling in a lot of ways. It was really an enormous appointment. It's probably Trevor Nisbet's last big um, win as, as the chief executive before being replaced by Don Pike was to convince Daisy to come across. Um, they're a sleeping giant, men's and women's, Daisy, and I think she'll get the best out of that program pretty quickly. Who's the most influential player in the game? Is it still the president? Yeah, it's still the president. I mean, he's... Uh, it's, 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 it's fascinating to see him sort of vacillate between being the AFLPA president and then Geelong captain. And some interesting comments this week about, you know, co- focusing on what he wants to achieve at Geelong. But he's a guy, you know, he, I don't know how long he's got to go. I suspect maybe two more seasons we might get. And the world is his oyster after. He can, he'll be able to do whatever he likes in life and in footy if he so chooses. And he's such an impressive person for what he's done on and off the field, Patrick Dangerfield, and uh, not a lot gets done in the game without him uh, being across it. So uh, Dangerfield sits in the... Um, number five. Number five. Lockie Neal's at 12. Uh, who are your other prominent players? And I love the fact that there's a newbie here, the reach of Nick Dacos so quickly. Then Nick Dacos gets in, Toby Green gets in. The thing about Nick Dacos, he will, be, he will end his career being the, the highest-paid player in the game's history. He's a superstar after two years. Um, look at Collingwood last year. They struggled when he didn't play, came back in the finals, and they go ahead and win the premiership. He'll be able to do whatever he likes in the game. You think there's multiple premierships, a, brown lo- a couple of Brownlows uh, in his future. Uh, I can't imagine this list will go around. Uh, for, he'll be on this list for a considerable period, I think, as well. And Toby Green is now the probably the playing figurehead, don't you think, Jared, of football in New South Wales? I mean, I know he plays for the Giants, who are low profile, but he's... he's his last couple of years have been incredible. The captain of the, uh, you know, voted as the best captain in the competition last year, and, and rightfully so, carries that team to shoulder. They could win the flag this year, and he, suddenly everyone loves Toby, Toby Green. Yes, yes, it is. That, that was the, the movement towards the end of last season for sure. How influential might Andrew Ireland prove as he takes his place on the commission, Nash? I think he'll be really powerful, Jared, because I think the commission was crying out for two, uh, they're crying out for some club knowledge. And they're crying out for some real sort of IP from the northern states. Well, he ticks both those boxes. Um, I, and there's every chance to be the next chairman as well, I think. I thought for a long time. There was a talk that they were trying to get Linda Dessau back onto the commission to possibly be the chairperson. 
But I think now that's been given uh, the kibosh. But I think Andrew Island is on the fast track now to being the next chair in the AFL. I don't know of a person in the game who doesn't have anything other than major respect for him. So I think he'd be a wonderful choice. And, uh, you know, I've, I've written about this. With Richard Goiter's, uh, I don't think succession planning is Richard Goiter's greatest strength as AFL Commission Chairman. So it'd be good to see some visibility from him going forward. And I think the, if, if you connect the dots, I think Andrew Island might be on the fast track to be his replacement. Has Kane retained his place as uh, the man who provides the most that everyone else has to talk about? Yeah, of course Kane gets in. He is, um, I mean, I look, I mean, I, I appear with him on the radio weekly, so I'm perhaps I'm a little bit biased, but I think he's, uh, he's, he's such a dynamic media performance. He, you know, he, yes, he's plenty of hot takes, but I think there's research and there's thought that goes into it. He's so reactive. I mean, how many newspaper, head, how many other headlines across multiple media outlets are spawned by something Kane has to say on his various platforms? And, you know, it takes a bit of work to be fresh on radio, TV, online, newspapers. He does, he does a lot. He's really the, the media performer for the 21st century. He's every bit of that. Uh, so, hang on, uh, he was 23 last year. He climbs to 20 this year. I did rather like pundit. <laughs> that I couldn't think of what else to do. I wanted to space to put everything else in, really. <laughs> no, it's a, some of it can't be printed. Stir up, <laughs> chief stir up, hot stir up. Uh, and <laughs> yes. the other versions of that. Yes. All right, so let's do the, the top five. You've done Dangerfield at five. Who comes in at four? Kylie Rogers, the AFL. She's... Um, she could have been Chief Executive Hawthorne, I suspect, if had she really wanted to uh, have that job. But she's staying with the AFL. So much runs through her office now, the AFL. Basically, whatever they, money they make from their various deals comes through her office. You know, like half a million dollars a year, something like that, uh, she's responsible for, hugely regarded in the game. And I think, you know, as I said, she's, she, did, she missed out on the Chief Executive role, the AFL, this time. But I think she's in the, already in the frame to be you know, the, the next Chief Executive of the league. Uh, she could have done a lot of things in a lot of sports, but she's remained loyal to the AFL. So Kylie Rogers at four. Who's at three? Three is Laura Kane. Um, if there's a theme to this year's Moves and Shapers, Jared, it's that the focus on football, and I want to sort of remember that old Richmond group that tried to take over <laughs> a few years ago, but I think, and I think you might agree with me, they neglected their core business a bit the last couple of years, the AFL. The core business of the game is football, and I think Laura Kane has overseen that. A great appointment, super impressive to date. Um, with some major appointment that she's brought in as well. I think there were a lot of areas of the game. League last year was successful and a brilliant season in spite of itself at times. So I think she's going to come in with a mandate to, to, to get footy 100% right. Without footy, without the competition we see on, a, on the weekend, there, there's no AFL. So it's a, it's a wide brief, but uh, given what she has to do and what she's done already, I think she, she's up there with a bullet at number three. Laura Kane's at three. Two? Paul Marsh uh, delivered a brilliant CBA. The players are equal partners in the fate of the game now. Um, he's delivered two CBAs. I've said this many times. He, he's, he's, he's a union man, really, with all that comes with that. He's got zero interest, to the best of my knowledge, of unlike some of his predecessors, of going to work for a club or going to work for the AFL. He just does what he does really well. I, I, when I, I haven't done the research thoroughly, Jared. I don't know what you think, but he'd be one of the best sports union officials I think in the world I think he would stand alongside uh, play, European soccer the NFL NBA those sorts of sports I think he's, maybe that's maybe that's his next step because uh, you know he's, he's, he's done two CBAs here does he have the appetite for third maybe I know he's already working on it but uh, he's just an incredibly uh, impressive figure in the game 
Yeah, to have done the two national sports, cricket and footy already. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and just having done the, the CBA, his influence is undeniable. And, and number one must be the AFL chief executive. Yeah, Andrew Dillon, look, at, um, he, gets the, he gets the job. Whoever is holding that role gets it every year. So there's no surprise, no real science behind it, other than the fact that it's the biggest job in the game. Can't wait to see how it goes. I mean, he's made some key appointments. I don't think he's going to be as gregarious as Gil was. He's not going to go on your show and match trade barbs with you and Robbo to the same level. But I think he's, you know, he's a great football person. He's one of us. Jody's a fan of the game, grew up in the game. He's coached, he's played. Um, he's got the strong legal background, which you're going to need. We talked about areas like concussion, for example. They're going to need a really strong legal background, I think, to see the AFL through the next few years. So he gets the, the, the nod at number one and uh, can't wait to see what he does, uh, does with the job as we get close to the season. What what sort of early impression has he created for you? Well, I think it's I think it's more the almost by the appointments have been made. I mean, there's been no sort of football as such, um, but I'm interested to see just how how he deals with crises and and uh, that they come up from you know almost every week. There's some sort of event in football that needs a sign off from the from the chief executive. He's got to get involved. So I'm, I'm I, I think deliberately he's taken a bit of a back seat. Just let things unfold. Let some of you know, put the team in place. Now let's see how that team functions. That's how I'll be uh, judging to see how, how the team goes. Who, who's your favourite quirk in there? So I love the fact that you put Swamp in last <laughs> yeah. year, uh, yeah. which was hugely enjoyable. I like that you've put AD Brown, yes. who is the, the brains behind the front bar and also behind the test. So uh, his body of work is great. Who, who, who's your little quirky? Well, I put, in Swamp in, I put Swamp in for two reasons. Firstly, his, his knowledge and his ability to find morsels during a game are quite incredible but I do know and the reason I put him in for this year is the AFL is about to he's at the, he's he's very central to plans by the AFL to create a database of football that will be accessible to everybody in the game not just media or people in the game but fans I think it'll come through I suspect it's come through AFL.com at some stage a way that the, the ultimate argument settlement will be available online I know there's AFL tables that so many people use but they're going to take a lot of that enhance on that and uh, build a database that will, if you love the game you will refer to countless times over the course of a week I know he's really involved in that swamp so that's why I figure in addition to the fact that he's just a, a genius when it comes to stats and facts and figures he's going to be uh, he's going to build something that's going to be a really important uh, a legacy piece for the game and a great piece of force a great piece of foresight from you you had Mon Conti in the list last year yes. and then you got your big dividend this year yes uh, well she's the best player of the game isn't she she takes games apart i mean if you're leading the AFLW best and first you can't lose with three rounds to go of a 10 game season that suggests you had a pretty good season i think jared so uh, she, she's the dominant play, women's player in the game looking for who's the next sort of daisy pierce or erin phillips i don't think she's it now uh, you've put a pretty good list together there, Ash. Terrific stuff. So it's there to dissect, it's there to delve into, and it's there to debate. And well done. It's Thank there you. Today, Where do Jared? we get it? It's on sale from today. Coles, Woolies, News Agents, $9.95, or get one through aflrecord.com.au. And does this have all the team lists in them for the, for the first fa- time as we look to the yes, season? This is our fantasy edition as well. So shout out to the traders who've done a, a mountain of work. If you play AFL fantasy, this is the definitive guide to all players, their rankings, their prices, how to pick your teams across the different types of competition. It's, it's, it gives you everything you need to know. So, uh, And a great, also a really good piece on Tasmania and the Tasmanian draftees we've put in as well as we get closer to the season. Good stuff, Ash. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Jerry. Enjoy it over there. I will. Ash Brown, the editor 
of the AFL record. You'll have your thoughts 0433 98 11 16 and you can call 1300 736 736. Melbourne's weather mostly sunny atop of 22 for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. The Brisbane Olympics reaches a really interesting juncture at the moment is there was the the pause on everything for 60 days while the Lord Mayor does his work in Brisbane to figure out how much money they are prepared to spend and what of the original concept is going to be followed through on. That developed today with the reporting around John Coates, who has declared the idea of a Gabba rebuild dead. And that came as a result of the Queensland Premier, who expressed a very clear presence, uh, preference not to demolish and rebuild the Gabba. So it's fascinating on a couple of fronts. The first is, and this is quite raw, obviously, in Victoria with what happened with the Commonwealth Games, is the sheer cost of these events now is less likely to be absorbed by governments of every level. And for a little while, I, I must admit, since the Rio Olympics, and the quick backstory there was Brazil bought the Olympics and a World Cup at a time in boom times. But by the time the Olympics came around, they'd bust. And the resentment of the local people to what was enforced, what was contractually enforced and the amount of money that was spent created a deep set resentment, which is not typically there. Usually at an Olympics is the most lovely part is the local reaction and the volunteer workforce and that sort of thing. In Rio, there was a resentment towards the Games. And I think we've seen in the years that have followed as the white elephants that were built. And it's a special category of photograph is stadiums that are abandoned and overgrown and Rio's got a stronghold on that. So games in Rio and Atlanta, which I don't think were regarded as, as terribly much of a success, reg- set against the, the great cities of the world, the big cities of the world, the rich cities of the world, and those that have the infrastructure largely already in place. So Paris and LA as the next two seem perfectly suited. London was a great Olympic city. Beijing, I suspect Tokyo would have been outside of COVID times, but we never quite got that. Is Brisbane's not in that category of city? And I think the Gabba is the showpiece now for it. So $2.7 billion was the estimate to demolish and rebuild. And in this day and age, governments are not going to commit that level of money. So now it's been spoken about that the opening and closing ceremonies might be at Suncorp Stadium, which was never the original concept, and whether that's actually grand enough for the Olympics. The second part of the equation is the Gabba itself, so it desperately needs a facelift. And if it's not going to be rebuilt, it needs the facelift along the way. And if it doesn't secure the government government money as part of the Olympics, there's not going to be any money left on the other side of that. And the implications for cricket and footy are pretty severe on that front. Uh, There would have been a a four-year period of displacement, which would have been inconvenient, but then there was a stadium that would serve them for generations to come. That's clearly now not going to be the case. There's a great deal of uncertainty in Brisbane around this, listening to Robert Craddock, reading what he's written today, talking to those who are involved behind the scenes. Nobody is in any position to go on the record for the time being because it's so fluid. Where is the money going to be spent? How much money is going to be spent? And how far are they departing from the original concept? It has struck me at at various stages since that contract was signed that Brisbane has been experiencing buyer's remorse. And now those games, the shape of those games is very uncertain 
and Olympics on home soil is absolutely to be cherished. And Sydney was the perfect city for it. I wonder what the bill for Brisbane is going to be and these years out how they're balking at that already. It's the biggest watch this space in Australian sport at the moment, this 60-day period and all the politicking that's happening behind the scenes. You'll have your thoughts 0433 98 11 16 and 1300 736 736 on our various topics of the morning. Here's Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. Uh, a few of your thoughts around Ken Hinckley's suggestion, which is getting the work around there. Uh, when we went to 19 teams with Tassie, it would be a 27-round season, Would how it would shake out. Uh, this is from Rick in Ringwood North. Ken Hinckley's idea. Now, my memory is one of your callers rang a couple of years ago with the idea of playing everyone once and then again continuing on for the rest of the season and on to the next and just keep going. Pretty much the same idea around and around and around, uh, which is then it could have been Glenn in Adelaide. Glenn has text through. Ken said what I've been saying for years, play a longer season where you play all teams once every year. Then you play nine teams twice this year and the other nine teams twice the next to even the competition out over two years. So Kenny thinks that there there is room, there is room for a little extra home and away footy rather than potentially wasting that on the pre-season to frame it that way. Uh, throughout the week, we wanted to tell Australian stories here in Vegas. So expats who've packed up their lives and moved here, Colin Funky Miller, Brad Sugars, Adam McGrath was here yesterday. He's working in racing circles. Uh, Ryan Ravesi moved here from Adelaide about 15 years ago, sent us an email. Hello to you, Ryan. Welcome to the program. Good day, Jared. Lovely to meet like this. So, so when did you move here? About 2006 I moved. What were the circumstances of it? Oh, we don't need to go into too much detail, Jared. but I was <laughs> chasing a few girls across the world and, you know, just a... Don't let your kids chase girls anywhere. You'll never see them again. <laughs> Very good, Ryan. So why did you settle here? Why did you stop here? Uh, just sort of where it took me with, uh, with the partner I had at the time. And professionally, things sort of took off a little bit. And that's yeah, a good city. It was a, a real fast-growing city at the time. And, yeah, ended up stuck here. What's what's the reality of living here like for you, Ryan? Is against what the cliche of Vegas is for everybody else who visits? Oh, look, I live in a green, leafy suburb about 30 minutes outside of the, the hustle and bustle of the Strip. So, you know, it's, it's like regular suburban life pretty much anywhere. Um, don't go down to the chaos too often if I can, if I can help it. Um, you know, a lot of Sporting events will head down there and concerts and things like that will head down to the Strip. But it's a pretty quiet existence out here, you know, 20, 30 minutes out in the suburbs. And, and the suburbs spread pretty wide and far in Vegas. So, you know, for most of us locals, we're not down there amongst the chaos that much. And, um, yeah, it's pretty pretty average life. It's amazing, Ryan, looking out the window this mornings and past the Strip and to the Spring Mountains that are the backdrop and seeing the snow-covered peaks. So you do, you have the extremes here in every which way. Yeah, we'll get a bit of snow uh, 
usually once a year we'll get a bit of a flurry here in town and then yeah look it's only a 30 40 minute drive up and and you you can go skiing you know for a good amount of months of the year and then you know it's funny once you hit like september october you can be sitting in your swimming pool or jacuzzi in the backyard and see the snow on the mountains while it's you know 30 odd degrees so yeah it's got a bit of everything to be honest people think it's just the you know the bright lights of the city but um you know you've got skiing and mountains and beautiful hiking and and you've got the 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 lake and you know there's all sorts of things to do other than you know what everyone thinks that that traditional life is like what do people think when you tell them you live in vegas ryan yeah they think i live in a casino (laughs) (laughs) yes but you know Obviously, a good chunk of the, the city works in the hospitality industry, which means that they are down there amongst that for work. But, you know, if, if you don't work on the strip, um, you know, because the, the, the locals are not hanging out down there on, on the weekends, just like if you live in New York, you're not probably in Times Square on a Saturday night, you know? Yes. Yep. Yep, as that uh, pushes back against the cliche. What are, what are the connections like to home? So you're a Crows man, are you? This is the year of the crows, Jared. We we oh. feel it. We've yep. four years now. We've been building up, and, and this is it, mate. <laughs> but um, look, it's as strong as ever. It's fifteen years ago when I moved here. It was you could barely get a game through the internet. The quality was terrible, and and now you know with the uh, you know you can I can watch every game through the Fox Footy app. If I want to listen to you on the radio, I can do that too. You you can really stay much more connected to to home than ever before so it's certainly become a lot easier than ever and you know I watched the, the series against the West Indies you know the other week I watch all the footy every game and so it's changed very much over the years and so now I'm definitely connected as ever. Do you have a, a, a little community of Australian expats is what what's that like over here do you gravitate toward each other or, or have you, you found your own circles? Yeah, it, it tends to be a very transient city, so people come and go. So I've had a few Aussie mates over the course of time. One was military. He's, he came and went. Another one of my mates you might know uh, was here for a few years, Mick Ablett, who uh, does a bit of work with the AFL. Yep. Um, so he was here. We're very, very good mates, so we stay in close contact. But, um, yeah, it tends to be very transient with the Aussies, but we do have a, a footy team here that plays in the US AFL. And, you want to um, tell us more about that, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, I've been connected with them since about uh, since I first got here in '06. That's how Mick and I met, and we uh, we hosted the nationals in the first year that that we were around playing. And then um, I don't get out as often as I'd like to, but they're still kicking around, and, and they team up with teams from like Phoenix and um, uh, and Orange County, and just to sort of put a squad of eighteen together when it comes to tournaments and things like that. But I mean, the team has been going for 15-plus years now, usually military guys that are looking to, you know, get into some physical sports. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, which is, it, which is still, sort of how it all going. started with cricketers looking for physical sport. So do, do they know much about it when they first come to play? No. <laughs> <laughs> they really don't. And um, there's not a lot of people here that, that, you know, know a lot about it if you're getting some, some U.S. guys in. You can show them on the telly, but, you know, it's very hard. And so, yeah, they get out there. They do their best. The USAFL has grown tremendously over the years, obviously. Um, and, you know, the success of Mason Cox hasn't hurt. But, um, yeah, it's it's definitely grown. The, the 
the Las Vegas Gamblers is the name of the team. They're still around, still kicking, get a get a run in once in a while. So yeah, it's it's good. Nice, nice. Do you imagine will you stay here long term still, Ryan? You're already a long termer. Yeah, I, I don't see myself coming home really at any point if might get lucky i might retire on the beach somewhere in adelaide down at henley or something like that if i get lucky but yep. but other than that i think i'll be i'll be here for a pretty long time ryan it's lovely to touch base thanks for sharing your story to an expat with us and uh, and good luck no worries thanks jerry Good luck to those those Las Vegas gamblers in their footy endeavours. one three hundred seven three six seven three six, and the 40 Winks temper text is 0433981116. Temper, a mattress like no other. That's Ryan Ravesi, who lives here in Vegas. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. Ryan's winning plaudits. How fabulous to hear that Ryan still has his Australian accent after living in the US since 2006. That's love from SOP. And great to hear Ryan has maintained his Aussie accent in Las Vegas. That's from Nick. Yes, it's funny how it morphs for some, but Ryan's been able to keep it. On a cricket front, so Victoria and South Australia are playing a Marsh Cup game today, a one-dayer. The Redbacks are two for 74. Victoria won the toss and sent them in. McSweeney is 39 and Winter is 14. And that means Jake Fraser-McGurk is out. He made six from eight balls. So back to state level and missed out today in a 50-over game. He's not part of the T20 squad. That series starts tomorrow. Mitch Marsh... Uh, has tested positive to COVID, but he's still going to play in that game. So we've seen a little bit of that recently ar- around the Australian squads. Uh, Cricket Australia advising that the skipper, Mitch Marsh, is captaining this side, has tested positive to COVID-19, but will still play in tomorrow's first T20 against the Windies in Hobart in line with CA protocols. Marsh will use a separate dressing room during the match and stay distanced while on the field. It's probably a little bit trickier if you're the captain, um, but that's how Mitch Marsh is going to spend his day. Chris, I'm in Brisbane. I love my sport employment-wise, so I'll very much do well out of it. The Gabba does need work, but it being knocked down is too much. Plus, unlike the Adelaide Oval and Optus Stadium, there is not much that can be done to the Gabba as it's landlocked with a heritage-listed school and no parkland around it. I must confess, when we were there for the cricket, um, and I was looking at it all with Mitch, and you know, you've got Vulture Street there and um, Stanley Street there, it's, it's, it was always hard to envisage, envisage how they would knock it down and rebuild it, as those two roads would need to largely be closed to even get the equipment in to build. So it's a really uncertain time for those Brisbane games and what the initial vision was. I remember Crash saying late last year it was the first time that he'd started to wonder whether they would actually go ahead. Um, and the implications of the, the Gabba not being rebuilt. It, she's a bit tired, the Gabba, as a, as a sporting venue with the Lions and that feature cricket that we want there. We want the first test of the summer to be in Brisbane long term, but I wonder what that means for the Gabba. So that's an open question that sits there for the time being. Matt from North Adelaide. Hi, Jared. I tuned into the Golden Knights versus Oilers replay last night due to your influence. I have been searching for a team these last few weeks, and because of you and Connor McDavid, I am now an Edmonton fan and happy with my choice. Next up, and in no rush, 
I'll be coming up with my NFL team, which will be a much harder exercise, as has already been proven. Thanks for your insights and guidance on this one for me. Uh, it was So Connor McDavid is regarded as the best player in the world, and there's, all, there's always something about going to top flight sport and seeing that, and he scored within the first five minutes directly down below us where we were sitting. So uh, very satisfying on that front. And a spin-off question out of that. Jared, can you please provide some cost comparisons between sports in the US and the AFL? Food, drinks, tickets, souvenirs, etc. I'm not going to go too deep into that because... Uh, yeah, but last night's two beers, the two oversized cans, cost Australian $58.60. So it was my shout, and I reckon Brooksy owes me. So $58.60, it, it is frighteningly expensive sport in the US, and that goes from tickets, but particularly for food and beverage. It's, it's fine as a special occasion. It'd be really interesting if you're a week-to-week fan uh, with reserved seats and how you would handle that but yeah our two beer our two oversized beer cans last night the aussie equivalent fifty eight dollars sixty so uh, thanks for your correspondence oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen one three hundred seven three six seven three six i am especially looking forward to today's edition of know your history shannon gill has done the work how much of what we have now with the nfl influence in australia owes to don lane that's my heritage with it I feel like it was Tuesday night highlight shows and then the Super Bowl. Who's hosted the Super Bowl through the years? Did we used to get it on delay? Was it always live? Know your history with Shannon Gill. We unlocked a lot of this yesterday as you declared how you found your own NFL team. What's your vintage of watching the NFL on telly? Join in with Shannon Gill next. Yesterday, we tapped into a wave of nostalgia as to how you chose your NFL team to follow, whether it was a a town or a player or a colour or a happy accident. There were so many different varieties of how you chose your team. There's a few follow-up emails. They've been great to read. Ben emailed through. My team is the Seattle Seahawks because of Craig Lowndes and his green monster car from 2001, the Seahawks have the green eye, and as a seven-year-old who was amazed by a clip coming on during the V8s, I thought I need a team. Since then, I was hooked. I love the sport and our college football because I can watch it all day Sunday. My team, the Washington Huskies, who nearly won it all. Also, as a massive Swifty between the Super Bowl and her concert next week, I'm so pumped and happy. Ben, that's lovely. And a go Chiefs. This was from Mayer. I've been a Chiefs fan since 2013. Started watching the NFL in 2009, but I couldn't pick a team. So at the start of the 2013 season, I'd said I'd go for the team that won the most games before losing. The Chiefs were 9-0, and and I haven't wavered since. That was Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey's first year too. They have given me so much joy over the years, but this year feels a bit more special to me. Until the last game of the season, I've been unconvinced by the boys. So although we are the reigning champs, we've felt like the underdogs through the playoffs, and Mahomes and co are back to their best, playing with a freedom and confidence we haven't seen all year. Go Chiefs! And go the mighty Swannies, Mayers in Darlinghurst in Sydney. How much of this owes to Don Lane? So that's straight up and down 
my introduction to it. Felt like we all barracked for the New York Giants at the start, Bill Parcells and Phil Sims that era because of Don. I did a spot with um, Chicago Sports Radio earlier in the week, and the iconic Bears player that I can remember was William the Refrigerator Perry. So that's the 80s, and that's their great team. And their eyes lit up that we would know William the Refrigerator Perry. So Don Lane's place in all of this. I watched, I'll tell you this, I watched the, the holdover, the holdovers on the plane over. It's the Paul Giamatti movie. Um, he plays a, a um, college professor. That might be overstating. He plays a, a, hist- a school history teacher, and he's got this phrase. I paused it, rewound it, and typed it out. If you truly want to understand the present, you must begin in the past. History is not simply the study of the past. It is the explanation of the present. And that is why we have Shannon Gill join us every Thursday so that we know our history. Hello to you, Shannon. Hello, Jared. Uh, that's quite an introduction. I don't know if I can live up to that, but uh, oh, we're all... you, you... I know you can because I've seen your notes. They're beautiful. <laughs> well, we're all very, very jealous of what you're doing over there. But anyway, we can get involved. We're happy to. Um, so let, before we do Don, mm. let's just do the pre-Don Lane era. And did we see the Super Bowl in Australia and under what circumstances? Yeah. So I've gone back through lots of old newspapers and so forth and found what I can deduce as how we watched it through time. So the first ever Super Bowl that appears to have been on Australian television was in 1971. Now, that Super Bowl was played on January 17. We didn't get it live. In fact, we didn't get it until March 20. (laughs) So so we didn't see the Super Bowl. If you're in 1971, if you're uh, an NFL fan, you had to wait two months, basically, to watch the Super Bowl. Now... I'm not sure if that triggered some interest or or whatever, but from basically the next 10 years, it was on Channel 7 through the 70s, and it ended up being basically the week after the Super Bowl. So... You would you would have read about it in the in the newspaper. Uh, you would you could have seen the scores, but you could watch it roughly a week after it actually happens. Oh, that triggers so many memories for me. So my reference point for that is WrestleMania three. <laughs> so that's nineteen eighty seven. Mm. So I'm thirteen, and we get the WWE on about a three month delay what we're seeing every week is three months old. So it's March 29 at the Pontiac Silverdome, and and we see it in the middle of the year, I reckon in June or July. And it's on, if my memory's right, Superman the movie was on, and then it came on after that. So it's late at night. You had to make the proper commitment. But there was no, in that world, you couldn't find out what had happened. That there was no risk of spoilers. Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant were meeting, and it had happened months earlier, and there was no prospect that it was going to be spoiled as we came to watch it in the world of 1987. So that was the Super Bowl. A similar, similar story. I, I, I lived through my WWF period too, so I know what you're talking about, Jared. But, uh, yeah, you, you, you could see the, see the scores in, in the newspaper, and there was always this sort of novelty value when it was on, oh, this is the American game, and... And you know, if you, and again, this is a time when there wasn't much sport on television, so and particularly American sports. So, even the Super Bowl being played a week or two later on television 
was a bit of a big deal and and there was news around the fact that it was on and this is what the rules are and so forth. So it was it was explained to a degree, but uh, but yeah, you you got it a couple of weeks later. And in fact, you didn't. We never saw the Super Bowl live in Australia until 1984. Okay. So that's a that's a fair it's a it's a, a fair lag of it being a delayed telecast and not just a delayed telecast by a few hours or the day. It was a yeah. week or so. All right. So is Don Lane the centrepiece in all of this? I think he is. I think he is for, for lots of reasons. And and this week I've, I've written a story that's up on Code Sports today and I actually spoke to Don's son, PJ, about yep. um, his memories of it all, which he has some great memories of. But Don, yeah, Don's a huge part of it for a few reasons. Um, first of all, to sort of set the scene with Don is that when he was hosting his Tonight Show's on Channel 9, biggest TV star in Australia, there was a running joke at, or, or, or running sort of comment at, at Channel 9 Studios, don't tell Don the NFL scores. Don had a subscription service to, a video, uh, to the NFL some way and used to get, yep. get sent videos, like we talked about WrestleMania, used to get sent videos a month later and watch the games as if they were live. But his rule was, and East would start conversations with people, do not tell me the football scores from America. So he was, it, was, it was like a, it was a version of the, you know, if you don't want to know the scores, look away now kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But for a couple of weeks. For, for a few weeks. So that was, that, that's, I suppose that's a sign of his passion. Anyway, Don's, that part of his career is over. He's pretty much seen as yesterday's man or washed up variety star. In the meantime, the NFL is being is bouncing around channels. You get the Super Bowl, you might get a few games here and there, um, different time slots. It was very hard to follow. People would, if you were one of the few that followed it, you would be very frustrated with it. Then 1990 comes, the ABC get the rights for some reason, and decide we're going to do it properly. And the first thing they do is they ring Don Lane. <laughs> so all of a sudden, the, the instead of it being a, a really sort of ad hoc situation of, of programming. It's on every Tuesday night at 10.30, um, a proper match of the week with highlights of all the other games. And, of course, there's also Don doing his thing. So previously it was very much just tape comes on from America, gets yep. played, nothing else. We then had a situation where Don would get on with enthusiasm about the game because he had it, his opinions on the game were, were big on it. He would, he would tell people what's happening or who should be doing this or who should be doing that. Uh, and then explain the game. So a lot of people in Australia that didn't, that were intrigued but didn't really understand what was going on, he was there to explain it. So that was the, that was the whole um, idea of, of it and why the ABC got him. But it was very unlikely at the time. You know, he was the commercial variety star host that he would end up being a sports commentator on ABC is, is very, very weird. So he, his legacy was already well enshrined, mm. but this becomes, this is a whole different phase for him and one that, well, it did change his persona to a degree and it's one that evidently he loved? Yes, yes. So clearly, like, he loved the game and, and chatting to his son this week, there's lots of fond memories of it, but 
you know, he, he didn't have a job in TV at the time, gets that job, and all of a sudden, everything changes. And he had this sort of running joke that he would say that in the 60s, um, people would come up and ask for his autograph. In the 70s, people would come up and say, my mother loves you. <laughs> Can I have an autograph? In the 80s, my grandmother loves you. Can we have an autograph? <laughs> but in the 90s, it was... Can I have an autograph? My kids love you because they watch you on the NFL um, highlights show every every Tuesday, and it, so it, it became a huge cult hit. And I'm sure many of the people listening here that are NFL fans, and many people in Australia that are NFL fans, would have had their fandom, you know, developed at that time when when Don Lane was hosting. And there's yeah, there's lots of really cool stories around it. So what grew up around it? So Super Bowl parties, did Don go and host Super Bowls? Yes. So this is, this is because, it was a, because it became this cult hit, the ABC actually started having live Super Bowl parties. So yes, he did the Tuesday night show, but it was, okay, we're going to go live with the Super Bowl and let's have a party around it. So they would invite, invite people into the studio, invite fans in, you would register come into the studio, I think it was in Sydney, and he would host the links from there and they'd do all sorts of things. You know, they'd have sort of challenges and stuff with 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 uh, with a footy and all that sort of stuff. And and it got to a point that it became such a such a buzz that Don whether Don talked him into it or not, but he actually went over for two Super Bowls and hosted the ABC sent Don over for two Super Bowls and hosted it. Now the funny thing about all this and the really lovely story about all this and why his son remembers this so fondly is he said that he would all, whenever whenever there was um, whenever he was on TV doing these Super Bowl parties he'd always say hi PJ at the end ah. um, the shout out to his little boy the second time he went to over to, to, to broadcast from, from the Super Bowl he said to the ABC I don't want to be paid for this gig do not pay me but instead you have to give me another ticket another plane ticket so this this, this was a, one of the Dallas and Buffalo um, Super Bowls in the 90s which I reckon yep. was probably the first one I ever watched and he he so his son PJ comes over with him and with the intention of showing him the Super Bowl now no, PJ nice. doesn't have a ticket so so Don Don loads him up with equipment and says, we're going to sneak you in. Just carry the equipment and, yep. and we'll pretend you're, you're, you're part of the crew. Now, I think someone in the crew has sort of probably said, Don, PJ's 10 years old. He probably doesn't <laughs> look like he's a part of the crew. So Don's backup plan was, okay, to his, to his son, if they ask you anything... You say you're a guest of the show because you're a soap opera actor in Australia, of which PJ, of which PJ <laughs> says, um, "What soap opera am I on?" And Don says, um, "I don't know any um, Coogee Beach, which is not a soap opera. Coogee Beach is kind of like a play on words of Home and Away, I guess. Anyway, so that's that's the situation of Don's son going over to be his right hand man in the broadcast booth." Um, for the Super Bowl and sneaking in to the Super Bowl uh, under the pretense that he was a, a soap opera actor on a fictitious uh, TV show in Australia. How absolutely lovely. Who, who do you think was the first Australian to host the Super Bowl? So, the, 
the one, the, the, the first one I can find who did the live Super Bowl from uh, in Australia. So, who who actually was involved in the live telecast of it here, back in the studio. Bit of a blast from the past. Daryl Eastlake. Daryl Eastlake, Daryl Eastlake, the first ever live broadcast of the Super Bowl back to Australia was on Channel 9 in 1984. And who was the Aussie back in the studio? It was Daryl Eastlake. Terrific. Um, Post-Don. So my my memory is Eddie hosted a Super Bowl or two or maybe more. Did Simon O'Donnell play a role as well? Yeah, this is an interesting one. So... The, the rights go to Channel 9 after the ABC um, and Eddie gets the gig. Now, the first year they had it, it was actually caused a lot of controversy because this is pre-multi-channels, of course, and it's when pay TV had just come in. So, you know, the pay TV reach was not great. We were still really relying on, pay, on, on free-to-air TV f- to get our sport. The 1997 Super Bowl, typically around the Australia Day weekend here, uh, it happened to clash with a test match. Australia and the West oh. Indies were playing. Yes, yes. So Channel 9 didn't show it. <laughs> so they'd shown the whole season on the highlights packages with Eddie hosting it. They didn't show it. Instead, they showed it that night on, like, on delay. Right. Um, which a lot of people were upset about. Was if you're not, you know, yes, you've got the cricket, that's fine. But if you've... You know, we've been watching all season and we're, we're now in the habit of watching it live with Don every year for Don's party, and now we don't get to watch it. So, anyway, the next year they rectified that with Eddie goes over to the Super Bowl to uh, broadcast from there with Darren Bennett, who was the Australian who was playing in the NFL at the time, yep. and then Simon O'Donnell was back in the studio here uh, doing, the, doing the links here. So that, uh, that, that was the way it was in that... You know, just before pay TV really sort of kicked in and, and our viewing habits changed. And does Don Lane play one more role before <laughs> we're all done? He does, actually. Well, there is a story that Don apparently pitched the NFL to Kerry Packer around that time. It's just that he didn't end up getting the gig hosting Right. It. But after Channel 9, it goes to SBS. And uh, the first year of SBS doing the, the Super Bowl here... Don Lane. For one year only, Don Lane came back and did it with SBS. And I was, I was actually chatting to Ed Wyatt yesterday who hosted it then after Don. And he said, yeah, I had to follow in the footsteps of Don and how, how difficult that was. He is the Don of the way we have <laughs> followed our NFL in Australia. All right, so... Uh, 0433 you can join in. one 736 Jim from Vermont South. Don's slogan was, welcome to Monday night football on Tuesday night. <laughs> yes. That's terrific, Jim. Lovely. Uh, 1-300-736-736-0433-98-1116. A bit of Know Your History, how we've followed and watched the Super Bowl in Australia through the years. Shannon Gill is our guide. Melbourne's weather. Mostly sunny, a top of 22 for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Reminiscing over how we've watched the Super Bowl through the years and Don Lane's central role in that. Uh, one correspondent went to Don Lane's Super Bowl party at the ABC Studios in 95 when Steve Young threw a touchdown pass to Jerry Rice in the first play of the game. Remember him getting angry because he said, this is going to be a whitewash. 
have never worked a Super Bowl day. At the age of 46, one of my favourite days of the year, I like to watch from home eating hot dogs and wings. My wife has finally taken the day off this year to watch her new favourite player, Travis Kelsey. No, not because of Tay-Tay. She discovered his podcast last year and now loves the NFL. And there's a stack of 49ers fans. And that, that feels so for my vintage, that's where so many of you were drawn. Scott from Bayswater in WA. Another one from the Don Lane days. I followed Joe Montana over from the 49ers to KC. It took many years to pay off, but the Mahomes years have been amazing. It was all because of Don Lane. Became a 49ers fan. Great choice. Ten years later, I went to San Fran and went to the 49ers shop, etc. And got myself kitted out. That's Pete from Phillip Islands. What about this one? In 1988, rode and won on a horse called Candlestick Park for J.J. Miller in Perth. Owned by the then owners of the 49ers. Became a 49ers fan until Montana went to the Chiefs in 93. Now a Chiefs fan. And that payoff is big and one correspondent remembers i watched the 82 super bowl as an eight-year-old on the abc on a black and white tv on the australia day holiday at our holiday house 49ers versus bengals in detroit and shannon gill is with us we're recounting the history of these things so the the legacy teams shanna are pretty they're pretty rich Mm. and clear as to where we associate with the game did you what what sort of chart did you come up with here yeah, so, so this is uh, having a chat, and I know you uh, spoke to, to Charlotte from NFL Australia the other day, and I've been doing a, a little bit of work with them over the, over the time on just finding out what, how they're, they're going here. And they have the, that ladder of most popular teams. That it, from the top, you've got Dallas at number one, you've got San Francisco at number two, Green Bay at three, Miami at four, New England at five, Kansas City at six, Philadelphia at seven, Las Vegas at eight, Atlanta at nine, and Seattle at ten. But you can see in those first five or six, there's eras of success that um, that are legacies for people. And I know, you know, I'm I'm not don't profess to be the the biggest Dallas Cowboys fan, but I am a Dallas Cowboys fan because yeah. I watched the um, them win a couple of Super Bowls with Don Lane, and, and by the by the last one, I was I was locked in as a fan and was quite into it. So that's where my interest comes from. And, and the same happens, you know, as we're, we're hearing from 49ers fans about that slightly earlier generation. And then the, the modern part of that is Brady with the Patriots mm. and Mahomes with the Chiefs. So I'm struck by, you don't have to go too far in, in our suburb to find kids wearing their Mahomes shirts. Yeah. And the interesting part with Brady is where some adults won't wear their Aussie footy Guernsey, yes. but they're quite happy to wear their Brady jersey wherever they go. Well, I think there was always an unwritten rule sometimes for among some people that uh, wearing a footy jumper if you weren't playing footy was banned after the, after a certain age. But it doesn't appear to be the way with with American sports. You can wear a, a an NFL jersey or a, or an NBA singlet at any age. Where do you think the Miami Dolphins fit? So they they were the only yeah. one on that list I thought. Oh, that's an interesting. That's an interesting. I mean, they did have you know going way back. They had their moments. I think in the seventies. So whether it's a it's an overhang from that, um, I don't. I'm not. I'm not quite sure. That's that's what I would guess. Um, yeah, because the Cowboys makes perfect sense yeah. from the um, America's team from that yes. era. Yeah. 
but uh, Miami did have some success. I think, you know, I, I think of the Miami Dolphins have sort of have featured in pop culture. Yeah, well, the yeah. Miami, I feel like the Miami Dolphins had a had a had a place in Ace Ventura. Was that was that yeah. correct? Am so I that, right? That's the the other kicker is Ace Ventura, <laughs> I reckon, and I use kicker quite literally there, yeah. and the, the place of the Bills. Uh, in the scheme of things, and given that they've just missed wide right again, yes. they lost their place in the playoffs because of it. And you can win yourself a, 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 a caricature in an Ace Ventura movie. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, so Dan Marino, I, I guess, yeah. I just wouldn't have had him pegged yeah. as quite a stronger figure. Uh, and the Dolphins haven't come through that much. But other other than that, that list is very true with what we've experienced over the past couple of days in the vintage. Yeah, yeah. And so the growth to where we are now, so. What is it? So the first NFL official party in Sydney Harbour. Yep. The AFL's party is at Marvel Stadium. And there's a- any number of yeah. bars and th- that I've seen who are staging their own events. Exactly. And I know, like the Sporting Globe, for example, 20 venues that they've got nationally, I think they're expecting something like 12,000-plus people to right. turn up. Now, that's... Yeah. I mean, first of all, 12,000 people who have either taken a day off work or, or are taking a sickie, which is, yes. which is interesting. But that's how much it's grown. And, and even, and, and I'm Charlotte, forgive me if Charlotte mentioned this the other day when you were talking to her from, from NFL Australia, but the streaming phenomenon in Australia is really interesting in that they, they see that there's more streamers in Australia than other places for the, for the NFL per capita. And that with the regular the Monday morning ritual uh, is becoming that they see that they see real time streaming stats come through, and it, yep. so first thing Monday morning it goes up, it goes up high, and then in that sort of seven thirty to eight thirty period where people are driving to work, yeah, it yep. dips, and then when they get into work, you know, somewhere around that eight to eight thirty period or whatever, it goes back up. So clearly, people are watching it in their offices in some way, shape, or form. (laughs) So, so I I just wonder what bosses will be doing this week, (laughs) and and whether they'll be monitoring exactly what's going on for productivity on Monday morning. They'll be watching as well, Shannon. They'll be watching as well. Uh, yes, Miami Dolphins fans are Ace Ventura fans. <laughs> so that's coming through very strongly. <laughs> that's my uh, only guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's excellent. So the interview with PJ, uh, Don Lane's son, is on yeah. the code. On, on code today. Uh, you can get it at codesports.com.au. And, uh, yeah, it's a great chat. And, and obviously he's got very fond memories of his father. But um, I think we'd all have memories if we were introduced to the game via Don Lane and the whole unlikely story of how a, a guy who was a song and dance man ended up becoming a, a, a big sports guy that the kids loved. That's brilliant. Shannon, thank you for the work that you did there and, uh, and sharing it with us. Great to see you, Jared. Enjoy you too and enjoy Monday or Sunday. Oh, yeah, big times ahead. Uh, Shannon Gill, Know Your History and Don Lane's pivotal place in how we've come to find the NFL and how that's grown as the years have gone on. Here's Nathan in the newsroom.
Nathan, thank you in amongst all the correspondence that we've had. So a big shout-out to everyone who's sent through. But those who remember William the Refrigerator Perry from the Battle Royal at WrestleMania 2, you are a special niche group. So do you remember the Battle Royal from WrestleMania 2? I remember the NFL players involved, William the Refrigerator Perry, Russ Francis, and a host of Atlanta Falcons players. Needless to say, I became an Atlanta Falcons fan. That is Andrew, and he is not alone having sent through on that front. Thanks for all your messages. That's terrific. Don Lane's place, having brought us all to the NFL and how Super Bowls have grown through the years and how they're televised and broadcast now in Australia. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. So amongst all your correspondence, Glenn texts this through. No word of a lie. My son still passionately supports the Vikings and despises the Packers because of Marshall Erickson from How I Met Your Mother. My girls were Green Bay Packer fans on the back of Pitch Perfect 2, but rather fickle as now firmly part of Chiefs Kingdom and the Tay-Tay effect, that's from Jim in Byron, and never been to the US but follow New Orleans as my dream holiday would be the Jazz Festival, an NFL game, then a test series against the Windies. We all find our way one way or another. Tommy Sheridan, you'll remember, as a Frio and Giants player, he hosts an NFL podcast, American Aces. We've strayed upon Tommy here in Las Vegas. Hello to you, Tommy. Welcome. Jared, thanks for having me, mate. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Like a kid in a candy store down here at Radio Row, just watching Miles Garrett just walk past as we talk. <laughs> it's pretty surreal. How are you going? Is it your first Super Bowl? It is my first Super Bowl. Yeah, it's my first one. And How, uh, how big an ambition has it been for you to get to one? Oh, it's been big. You know, when you when you are playing footy, you can you can never get to one, and sometimes you can't even watch them live. I'll never forget that we pre-recorded the uh, the Tom Brady comeback and went back to my house during our lunch break, and we watched it, and that was pretty crazy. Come back in the afternoon and did our weights in pre-season. So, but yeah, getting to a Super Bowl has always been the dream. I'm a I'm a Baltimore Ravens man. Lamar Jackson, you know, big fan of his. So it was nearly it was nearly the fairy tale, you yeah. know, when they got beat last week, but. Uh, yeah, Las Vegas with a few friends, Marcus and Bots and a few other boys that are coming to town. Just had a mate text me then. He's just snagged a ticket, so he's on the way from Melbourne now. <laughs> uh, AK just messaged me then. So it's all happening. Um, it's just great to be here, see you, and just saw Benny Graham and Cam Luke. It's all happening, mate. I love it. It is. So Jolie and I aren't Vegas guys. I feel like you might be a Vegas guy, Tommy. Is that a reasonable guess? <laughs> yeah, I look a bit dusty, don't I? It was a big <laughs> night last night with the boys. Um, yeah, love Vegas. Um, Campbell Brown's more Vegas. I, I don't mind LA and Newport, but um, yeah, if it's a Super Bowl and it's Las Vegas, I think it doesn't get any better than that, in my opinion. Where's your passion for the NFL spring from? Uh, probably when we were uh, we started a bit of NFL fantasy and all that, but it all started with uh, a player that used to play, Eric Decker, wide receiver. Um, I was introduced to him by a few friends in Perth and uh, he took us for a tour with my friends in New York when he was at New York Jets. And yeah, he's just a great guy and he had a touchdown, first touchdown that day, that Sunday. He took us for the tour on the Wednesday and like, I just fell in love with the, the atmosphere and I love, you know, I love sport in general. Um, and then I started playing like fantasy and yeah, just fell in love with it. Like, you know, I guess the way when people fall in love with the sport you're playing, it's like I can see why people love it so much. Yeah. You know? and I always love it like that and uh, yeah, and Eric was just such a great bloke that, you know, helped us, I guess, not only take us for a tour, but, you know, just the ins and outs of the game. It, but sometimes I'd pepper him a few questions. What's going on here? You know, get around it. Um, and then when he retired, as I said, I just started following Lamar Jackson. 
Um, but yeah, the fantasy element, the boys, a lot of the players that that I that introduced me to it when I was playing footy are all retired. So we've yep. got these big WhatsApp groups. It probably what keeps everyone together. There's plenty of banter, twenty four seven. For the AFL seasons, you know, it's it starts and finishes, and then the NFL season kind of starts as AFL finals um, is there. So, nah, mate, that's where the passion started, and I just love the characters. Like the there's a lot of egos. It's a bit yes. like a real life movie. You wake up one day and you'll just read a ridiculous article. You don't know what it is. It's like a real life TV show. Um, so yeah, I love it, mate. I love it. What about yourself? When did you fall? So I'm the Don Lane days. So that's way beyond don't your time, Tommy. No, no. <laughs> so he was a, an American who came over. He was a huge TV star in the Burt Newton era. Uh, and he, so we've just had our history. There's so many people from that, and a lot of them are 49ers fans because that was they were the Joe Montana years. And um, when did you start American Aces? Yeah, so Oz American Aces, we we um, got to pull you up on the name. So Oz American, Oz. Which I feel like I should say American because everyone says American Aces. Um, now we try to create that. I created that in 2020, uh, 2021. Uh, wanted to create a, a sports club for Australian and American sports fans. That's kind of why I merged the, uh, the the word Ausmerican. Looking back, I probably should have just called it American. Um, and uh, yeah, just try to create a place for Australians to go uh, and listen to, you know, I guess athletes or past athletes or p- just big fans of American sport and Australian sport um, with a bit of a younger touch to it as well. Nothing against people that are older than us, but just a bit of a more, more of an entertaining kind of factor yep. to it. We're not analysts, um, but real insights if it's their sport, like AFL, NRL. We have a few boys that do podcasts under the Osmerican Aces bracket with um, the Storm boys, and uh, there's plenty of ads and dunks to a podcast with us who yep. are at the top of their game. And, uh, yeah, I've got mine and a few others, and we just want to incorporate as much American sport and NBA, you know, like that's something that we really love as well. But the NFL is a big one. Um, we have a big NFL fantasy. I guess that you, you, all your athletes from different – we've got jockeys, we've got NRL boys, we've got AFL boys, we've got Benny Graham's in there. You know, he, he always wins as well. We've got, I've got to get rid of him, but we can't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, and just uh, yeah, try, trying to create a, a space that people can listen to an Australian voice as well. A lot of the, uh, the American content I kind of consume is over yep. here. Um, so sometimes it doesn't come out the right time. So I feel like – a lot of Aussies love it, so we should start something. So, yeah, that's where it all started, and it's been great fun. Oz American Aces, excellent. Um, so how hyped are you for Sunday? What, do, do you know – so you've watched Super – do you know what you're in for? No, nah, I don't. I don't know what I'm in for. Um, even, like, today, I didn't know what to expect here. Like, the Pat McAfee set up over there, yeah. I was just like, I wish they were on set now. I'd be just watching like a fan. Uh, no, I don't know what I'm – my mates went to the Miami one. I've got a lot of mates that have been to, you know – a lot of Super Bowls and I've heard all their stories and there's always unbelievable stories but in terms of the game I'm just I've been tipping I've been tipping against Mahomes all postseason, so I'm still tipping against him this week which is ridiculous but I, uh, I I'm so excited for the game if the Niners like lead which I think they which they should with the run game and Christian McCaffrey I I think it'll be too much for Mahomes to, to come back with that with his you know I don't think the receiver rooms is good but yeah in terms of the game it could be an it's going to, it's shaping up to be a cracker. Like if you look at the odds for the game, it's two dollars, a dollar eighty, or whatever. So no one is very certain who yep. the favourite should be. Um, but I'm also trying to be fresh. I know you said, oh, you love Vegas and all that. I don't want to be walking in hungover on uh, Sunday. So I've deliberately got a dinner booked 
Saturday night. We're, right. we're going right. to behave ourselves so we can uh, roll in. And I think there's a tailgate at 10. That's all I know, Jared. The tailgate's at 10 and then we roll in. You're my new favourite for the person I know who ends up with a camel or a tiger in their room. Tommy, it's lovely to see you here on Radio Row. Have a great time in Vegas. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Tommy Sheridan, who's with us here. So, Oz American Aces. Uh, so, we meet Tommy, now a great friend of the program. Where in the world is Brad Blanks? Well, where else would he be other than Vegas and with us here on Radio Row? Blanksy, welcome to town. Oh, Jared, yes, great to see you, mate. Look, I've got to tell you, I know you've been saying all week that you're not a Vegas guy, but there's elements in there where you could unleash. You could be that... That guy waking up with your face tattooed with <laughs> a tiger at the end of your bed and a, and a baby a baby sitting in the other room on your couch, maybe. I, I can see the hangover happening I for made you. A, I made a terrible <laughs> error of judgment on the way over and watched Obliterate. The oh, yeah, Netflix so very good show. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not sure yeah, about no, that, Blanks. No. I'm not sure very good well, show I, I, is I the last, right description of that one, show. I lasted one episode and a half. Yeah, I should have... Yeah. Gone yeah. to Rounders, or I should have gone yeah. to Ocean's Eleven. I nearly didn't get on the plane at LAX once right. I'd seen that depiction of Vegas. But, um, just scope and what, so you're fresh to town. Uh, it, Radio Road, this is bigger than it's ever yeah, been. Bigger. I feel uh, the, the way it's grown exponentially day on day, and today, uh, because radio has become such a visual medium That's right. now, is not only have we got desks. We, we brought an Australian flag and a Sharon, but there yeah. are elaborate yeah. sets oh, that have now been built around desks all around the auditorium. It's very well organised. And, and look, I think the top five people that have walked through here that are the biggest stars probably warrant the build-up here. You've got the likes of Dana White, who now is a star as an entrepreneur of UFC, but a star on social media. So he walks through here and it's like looking at a movie star walk through. Same with someone like Gronkowski. The, the level of celebrity within the Super Bowl lead-up is heightened more than ever. Yeah. Which, uh, and I know you've been coming to this probably six or seven years now, and you could probably feel that, well, I think about six, seven years ago, I, I was sitting down next to you and Evander Holyfield sat yes, down with yes. us. And, oh, I started talking to him about the year and how life is, and that doesn't happen now. It's changed. It's, 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 a, it's a heightened experience within this uh, radio row. But Vegas, uh, you know, wouldn't all these old mafia guys, mob guys from the 70s be turning in their grave that they now have a Super Bowl in the uh, the, the yeah. gambling mecca uh, of the world. Oh, I, it's been so interesting to learn the history of the town and sport in the town and, and just all that's happened in the past 10 years. There have been uh, great stories to share. And Right, so we, we've got some... Uh, if we were to say maybe the best way to depict the difference between Blanksy and me. So yeah. I'm at the Tropicana, which is slated to be levelled. It's closed in yeah. two months and it's going to be knocked down. And my spies tell me you're at the Bellagio. Yeah, I'm at the Bellagio. Yeah, there you, it's, go. Well, there you like, go. Look, it's, I don't know if it's that. It's ritzy. It's nice. You know, um, Blanks is a Vegas guy. No doubt he's a Vegas guy. I once was a Vegas guy. I've done some wild things here in the O's. I call them the O's. That was <laughs> when I was you know, out in America, you know, uh, was sowing my oats. Is that the right word? Oh, yes. <laughs> Do I get the, the phrase right? I've got to watch how I say that, Jerry. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I had a very good time. Uh, yeah, and Vegas was always a great spot to come. 
come to to watch sport too. So not necessarily sow your oats, but um, yes, watch sport on uh, TV and on in TV. the sports books. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what a lot of people do for Super Bowls uh, now, the actual Super Bowl being here. But uh, tonight, I recommend you get your hot water bottle and curl up in bed and maybe watch Casino, the you, great Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci movie. We're at U2 tonight. Oh, you're at U2. Well, U2. Oh, I you're... If, it wasn't for, if it wasn't for the Super Bowl, this would be the highlight of the trip. <laughs> right. um, it's great to see you. We're going to spend time together over yes, the next few we days. Will. We'll be broadcasting yep. together. Jared. Lovely to see Wonderful. you, Blanksy. Thanks, Blanky C's in town. Where in the world is he? He's in Vegas. Where else would you be? We'll tidy up. Touch base with Dwayne next.